It also makes you think high level, like what could go wrong this year? We've, we've got this forecast, but if we have this sort of worst case scenario forecast, or right now we might call that like our, our macroeconomic or our, our recession forecast, if we think that something like that is looming, we suspect that if the economy continues on this trend, that acquisition will slow down. So what does that mean if acquisition slowdowns yeah. or slows down? You can plan for, you can say, these are the first hires that we were, these are the first first future hires that we will cut. We'll, we'll delay them by six months. Yeah. These are the marketing opportunities that we may pull back on because we don't think it will be worthwhile. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Organize Chaos Live. Now I've got some pumpkin spice coffee in my cup here. The holiday music is playing in the stores when you walk through the retail stores. And that means it's time for strategic planning and forecasting. So as we approach the end of this year, I thought what better conversation to start to surface here on LinkedIn and on the podcast than one about how we do forecasting inside our business. And so today I'm inviting in our director of finance, Drew Romney. He's going to be joining us in just a second. And we're going to talk through how Trainual does forecasting, more generally, how you should think about forecasting in your business, what metrics and numbers you need to have in order to do the forecasting exercise, how to communicate it to your team. And I'm sure this will spider off in five or 10 different directions. So if you're thinking about forecasting, about budgeting, about your numbers for next year, then you're going to get a lot out of this next conversation. But before Drew comes on, I'd love to hear any questions or thoughts that you have. So put them in the chat, put them through on the comments, and we'll address those live. Anything that we see coming in. Are you thinking about forecasting for your business? What questions or challenges are you thinking about when it comes to yearly forecasting? So get those started. And in the meantime, Drew, come on in. Hey, Chris. How hey, you thanks for coming on and doing this. Yeah, this is exciting. All Normally right. They don't let finance on uh, on things like this, so this is uh, this is good to be on here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I uh, I know we've had a couple fun forecasting sessions together, and I've told you this like seven times already. So you're getting sick of me saying this, but there was a comment you made last year when we went into this activity, and you said, uh, "Correct me if I'm wrong." finance follows strategy. Like we can make up whatever numbers we want, but until we have the strategy for the year for the business, it's hard to actually plug in all the numbers that, that are going to make sense. Did I get that right? Totally. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of times in the world of finance, we try to overcomplicate things and we say like, this is what we have to do because this is what my spreadsheet says. But to have real success in a business, we have to make sure that finance is just one of the key players in setting that strategy and then making sure we have the resources in place to, to achieve those goals and, and that strategy. So I think it's just one component of it, but I think a lot of businesses can get caught up in just saying, hey, here's our forecast, this is what we have to do, rather than in reverse, making the forecast fit what the company actually wants to achieve long-term. So before you were here, my forecasting exercise was basically just like putting numbers in a spreadsheet that seemed good, like a total linear growth, and then just dragging the Excel cell out to the right as far as it could go and saying like, yeah, this is basically what, what the business is going to do. But it was so detached from reality. And I know to some extent, we still do that for, for different assumptions, but there are so many more business insights tucked away into this, the spreadsheets that we use. And you don't just make those up. And so how do you loop in the rest of the team in advance of us doing the forecasting? Like, where do you even start to make sure the numbers are right? 
Yeah, so so your approach of, of understanding the historicals and dragging them across is is not a bad place to start, especially for smaller businesses. If, if you don't have a dedicated finance person and you're just trying to do this for the first time, the, the number one goal or the number one thing you should be doing is understanding your historical financials. So if you don't if you don't have those in good shape, it'll be impossible to forecast going forward what where you're going to be spending money, where growth is going to come from. So you need to make sure that those historicals are in are in a good spot so that you can at least at the bare minimum, like you said, drag those forward and understand what the next 12 months of, of expenses are going to look like. Um, but beyond that, it's it's really just a, a practice of going line by line and understanding is is this line item, is this expense that we have historically, is that a key driver to our, our success? Is that a big item in our um, on our PL? Is that going to change dramatically over time? And if it is, if it's not, I would say just drag it forward. That's that's or or at least look historically and say, uh, is it going to be the same going forward? Yes or no, and move on. Unless you've got a huge finance team, a bunch of accountants working for you, and you can dedicate the resources and time needed to be perfect on every single line item. If you're a small business, you have to focus on on the areas that are really going to move the needle. And so, work with your sales and marketing team on understanding what the growth plan is, work with your customer success team is on how are you going to increase retention and, and what resources do you need for that? And so it's going to be an iterative process where you're working with, with department leads individually. And then also as your, uh, as your leadership or executive team gets together to talk about goals, talking about those cross-departmental uh, issues and, and goals that you have. So you mentioned the, the, the P&L or the profit and loss statement. So if anyone's listening and is you know a small company just kind of getting started, assuming you have some kind of financial software, maybe you've got QuickBooks or something like that, uh, you should be able to run a statement and be able to see a profit and loss, which is going to itemize all the different categories of spending and revenue in the business. And if you don't have a financial system like that, maybe you've got your receipts or you've got your credit card bills and you're kind of plugging those things together yourself in, into a spreadsheet. But I think it's a great suggestion to just start line by line, all of the different streams of revenue and all of the different types of expenses. And then you walk through those conversations and say, all right, is our rent gonna be the same for next year? Or are we getting an increase? Are we moving? Are we downsizing? Or can I just drag this amount through the rest of the year? How about our insurance? Like as a bigger company next year, do we need bigger insurance? Or is our insurance premiums the same this year? So it's it, it's that exercise of just going line by line. And a lot of those things are just simple, basic expenses. But what, what do you think are the, the trickier ones that you mentioned growth? Are there other ones that that tend to take a lot more of your time? Yeah, I would say that the biggest ones that are, at least for our business, the biggest drivers are going to be the costs associated with growth and acquiring new customers, and then the costs associated with building our software. Mm -hmm. We could we could keep our excuse me, we could keep our growth costs flat and just assume that we're going to grow the same amount and move forward. We could keep our product and engineering costs flat and assume that the product doesn't change over time or just changes incrementally over time. But as a business, as we decide what our strategy is for next year, how much we want to invest in product uh, and engineering and design versus how much do we want to invest in sales and marketing? Those are the things that are going to, those are our biggest line items if you, yeah. if you lump them together. And so that's where most of the assumptions are going to come into play. Yeah. So for us, the product is like R and D it's, it's our advanced spending to develop a product that we think will generate a lot of revenue down the road, but we make those strategic decisions to 
invest money in that area before we're getting the revenue. And across everyone's business that's listening, they're probably making some of those leaps of faith themselves. They're saying, I'm going to buy these raw materials that I need uh, to try to supply this big order, or I'm going to hire somebody maybe that I don't quite need for today's business, but six months from now, they need to ramp up and be able to be there for my business. So all those R&D expenses are where we're kind of just guessing, right? Is forecasting just kind of guessing in some ways? Uh, in some ways, I think, I think if you're too like loose about it, you can get into, you can get into trouble. Um, the number one mistake I see companies make is that they, they spend based on their forecast, based on what they project for the year, but their revenue doesn't match what they have projected mm. for the year. So they think, oh, we're, our expenses are according to plan, but if, if your revenue isn't matching what you also projected for the year, you can get into a big, uh, you can get into trouble cash wise, cash flow wise, or cash burn wise, depending on the stage of your business. And, and that's where you get into the biggest mistakes. And so it's, yes, there is some guessing going on, but I think you can put guardrails and do some scenario planning in place to make sure that as you check in monthly or quarterly throughout the year at, at how you're trending um, to your forecast, then you can make those adjustments as you go. I want to come back to scenario planning because I think that's a, a great takeaway that everyone could could work on for next year is a few different scenarios of your forecast. But um, I see a lot of people's budgets that are, you know, like business pitch competitions or something, you know, when I'm involved with things around town and I'll see people come in and they say, yeah, our sales this year were... 50,000 or $100,000 and next year is going to be 4 million, you know, and, and like a lot of people have these huge leaps, these massive assumptions. And I don't know if they're doing that just because uh, they're crossing their fingers and they're trying to raise money, but you're right. A, a lot of times the revenue falls short and the spending doesn't. And so what's, what's the, like, how, how on top of, of your forecast should you be? Is it weekly? Is it monthly that you're saying, hey, revenue is not where it should be. Let's cut back spending. I think monthly is the right cadence to really look at it, especially if you're if you're closing the books monthly. You might not have a great idea on what some of the expenses are until you close your books uh, on a monthly basis. And so that's for me, that's the right cadence to be to be looking at things. Uh, and then quarterly, we do a bigger update. So each month we might do minor tweaks, minor updates, minor, we might say, hey, marketing, based on our growth the last couple of months, let's cut back on spend or let's increase spend if things are going really well. Um, and then each quarter, we have an opportunity to sit down with all the leaders. And I work with you, Chris, on saying, hey, here's, here's what we've done the last six or eight quarters. Here's where we're trending. Here's what we're projecting the next couple of quarters. Like, according to what we've done, should we make any adjustments to, to spend going forward? And so... Um, I think as long as you have that cadence of looking at it monthly or quarterly, you won't find yourself in a in, in too big of an issue. But what happens, I think, with a lot of companies is they they really do consider annual planning and they say, this is our plan for the year. This is what we're going to stick with. We've already got our headcount and our uh, our hiring plan. We already have those job descriptions written. We already told the team that this is what we're going to do, that in nine months, we're going to have another squad of developers and product managers and designers. And then revenue falls a little bit short, but we've already gotten our mind that we're, we're making this higher. So I think you have to be flexible, but at the same time, understand that it's not going to be perfect going forward. So part of that flexibility comes down to having scenarios, like you mentioned. How many scenarios do you think are appropriate and versus overkill? Yeah, I, I might have like a little bit of a uh, not a super popular opinion on this. I like having one scenario like that you truly stick to 
but but be able to adjust your assumptions very easily to where you can play around with it every every month or quarter to say like if this were to happen what would happen if this were to happen what would happen and i think some companies get in the habit of having like three or four different plans that one that they present to the board one that they have internally one that they present to future investors that has that like 50,000 to 4 million growth that you're talking about chris and and what happens is they, they're trying to like serve too many people and they don't understand what their actual goal and plan is because they've got so many different plans floating around. So I, I kind of like the idea of having one, but have some what we call sensitivity analysis built into it. So we have our, our base plan, the one we're going with, it's, it's sort of part forecast, part plan, part goal setting framework, and then have some sens sensitivity analysis built in to say, all right, so our assumption for churn is X percent. What if that went up 1%? What if that went down 1%, what would that do to the to top line or to bottom line? Um, and make sure that we keep an eye on that. And what if customer acquisition cost went up by 10% or down by 20%? What would that do to, to cash and to growth and things like that? So I like to have one plan put forth to the team to say, this is what we're going to do going forward and we're going to adjust it accordingly. But here's some, here's some sensitivity analysis to say, if we're off track in these key assumptions, this is what it's going to do to the, to the end result. Yeah, I, I like having one plan too, but I think when we go into planning, we tend to put in some numbers that we think are like best case scenario and worst <laughs> case scenario. Because when you're testing those assumptions, you're you want to you want to test the bounds of what's reasonable. Like based on our business knowledge, we don't think that this metric is going to dip below here. That would be crazy. Or we don't think it's going to go above here. That would be crazy. And so we know that if we're sort of within those two guardrails, that this is the range for where we totally. could be next year. And so when we've got that range in mind, then we move forward with the single forecast. Um, but we know that we're we're kind of, you know, zigzagging or bouncing in between that range. We're, we're somewhere we're going to land between the low end and the high end yeah. of that range, unless something just crazy happens that's kind of outside our control. Yeah, and I think that that's fair. It, it also makes you think high level, like what could go wrong? Uh, this year we've, we've got this forecast, but if we have this sort of worst case scenario forecast or right now we might call that like our, our macroeconomic or our, our recession forecast if we think that something like that is looming so that we can keep an eye on those factors as we move forward. Like we suspect that if the economy continues on this trend that acquisition will slow down. So what does that mean if acquisition slowdowns yeah. or slows down? You can plan for, you can say these are the first hires that we were, these are the first future hires that we will cut. We'll, we'll delay them by six months. Yeah. These are the marketing opportunities that we may pull back on because we don't think it will be worthwhile. Yeah. So it is, it is good to have scenario planning. I just think companies need to be careful about trying to have too many goals because then people get confused on what the ultimate goal is. Is it the one that we presented to the board or is it the one that we're presenting to future investors? Is it the one that we uh, are looking at internally? And so that can get confusing, but the scenario planning to make sure that we have the right resources depending on uh, what actually takes place is is definitely key. Yeah, and and there's a lot of news floating around right now about layoffs and companies that started spending like crazy and now have had to make really dramatic spending cuts. And I think that one of the ways that we've always managed the business is to be conservative on our spending and not make that next hire until we're confident, until we get the revenue there. And so, and, and, you know, frankly, a lot has changed over the last six months where we've said, no, we're going to delay this hire or no, we're going to delay this initiative. Um, but because we haven't done those things too hastily, we haven't had to make the cuts on the other side that a lot of other businesses 
are. And so I think this knowing your, your base plan uh, can be really helpful for not having to retroactively cut things that you added and make these sort of knee-jerk reactions in the business. Totally. And I, th I think going into the year, um, having certain rules in place that allow you to be flexible makes a lot of sense. So you can tell, in this example, you can tell R&D, product design and engineering, hey, we'll, we'll add another five or 10 people in Q2 or Q3 if we're at this revenue goal. So you can set sort of those guardrails that you're talking about saying the plan is to do that, but only if we're at this level. If not, then you also need to have a backup plan on what the product roadmap map looks like to know that, hey, you're, you're not getting these five or 10 people at this point in time. So make sure that you're planning accordingly for that. So I think having some of those guardrails or those rules in place uh, and not being super strict on, hey, the budget said we're going to do this, so we have to do this is really helpful for, for companies as they build their plan. Right, right. Uh, Drew, random question, but do you do you cook at all? Do you bake at all or anything? I do. Not a big baker, of, but uh, cooking, yeah. You, you ever heard of the term mise en place? I think I'm saying that wrong, but you know, it's like the stuff that's ready to go in order to yep. bake. Totally. What's, what's the mise en place for forecasting? Like what, <laughs> what do you need nice. to have, have ready to go uh, to do this exercise? And let's, let's assume not everyone listening is in software. It could be any kind of business. What should they be wrapping their heads around to go into the exercise? Yeah, I think having a good forecast template is a great place to start. So there, there's resources out there where you can you can pull down Excel templates or Google Sheet templates if you're just doing this for the first time. There's also software out there that helps with this. Um, we have kept things fairly basic around here and, and utilize Excel for this for the time being. Uh, so there's tons of resources out there, but having a good forecasting template to start with will allow you to make those changes to assumptions uh, more easily. Because if, if you don't have a good tool that you're using, uh, it's gonna be really hard to be flexible and proactive when you're when you're cutting spend or making um, changes to revenue assumptions. And so make sure you've got a good tool that you're working with. And that can be yeah. something as simple as a Google Sheets template. That would be the first thing to have ready. Um, we're going into annual planning here at, at Trainual over the next uh, couple of weeks as we think about these things. And so I've got a good template to where while we're in annual planning live and we talk about some of our goals and initiatives, I can make quick changes to say like, all right, if we focus on this area and hit this goal, this is what our growth will look like. Or if we decide to invest in the product more, uh, here's what will happen to cash as we increase expense in that area. So you can very quickly on the fly make changes to it and uh, and not have to go back to the drawing board every time and, and redo your assumptions. So that would be number one, I think mise en place means everything in its place in French or something like that. Okay. And so, yeah, you have that in place know. and then you can, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I've watched enough cooking shows to know a little <laughs> bit about that. So uh, that'll be number one. Number two would be understand what your fixed costs are. So this is true in, in almost any business. In software, we don't have as many fixed costs, but if I'm a manufacturer and I've got, if I've got rent or multiple facilities or machines that I'm paying for, I've got a lease on certain equipment, those are probably not going to change over the next year because you're contractually obligated to pay those things. You've got your headcount, which is close to a fixed cost that you're that you're going to pay throughout the year. Uh, and you've got some other things like insurance that like you already mentioned that you're just going to have those overhead costs no matter what. So just bake those in. Those aren't changing. Put those in there and focus more on what your variable costs are. Your variable costs are going to be marketing spend, uh, new initiatives that you're bringing up. If you've got, if you're selling a product or a good, it's going to be your cost of goods sold that you've got. So understand your fixed versus variable costs because you shouldn't spend much time forecasting your fixed costs because those aren't going to change. 
Um, and then number three is really understand your growth levers and drivers. So understand what is going to drive revenue growth throughout the year and understand what those key assumptions are because if you don't have that in place, that's also gonna be really hard to fix on the fly or, or make multiple scenarios uh, based on that. And when you say growth assumptions or growth levers, that would be like the, the, core, the key metrics that tell you, you know, like what is my cost per customer? or something like that, right? Because uh, people should know in, in really any business, if you're ramping up your marketing and sales spend, what do you expect to get in revenue for every dollar or thousand dollars or whatever that you're increasing your sales and marketing by? And if you at least know those ratios or those metrics that are based on your historical evidence, then you can use that as kind of a best guess moving forward into what this next year will look like, right? Totally, yep. and. And this goes back to understanding what the keys and the goals of the business are. Maybe growth isn't your goal. Maybe you just want to maintain the same revenue number, but your goal for the year is to, to cut costs. And so spend yeah. your time on, on that exercise rather than, than the growth one. So understanding the goals of the business, super helpful in this. If you know, if you're a startup and you're running out of cash, like what do you have to do to raise money in the next 12 months? That should be your goal. And you should focus on, on, on your cash conversion cycle and, and reducing burn and things like that until you can raise those funds. Let's talk waterfalls. This, you know exactly what I'm talking about, but anybody that's listening. So when we first decided to raise money at Trainual, one of our, our investors, he's on our board of directors, Troy Hanikoff, he uh, suggested this, this format. Um, I, I guess it's called a, just a waterfall. I don't know, is there a different word for it? Uh, no, I think that's right. No, waterfalls. All right. So I want you, everybody that's listening, um, put your, put your like visual artist hat on and just imagine a spreadsheet that has uh, a long row across the top. And then as it goes down, it's got like one month less, one month less, one month less, something like that, because it, it kind of looks like a wave or a waterfall. But what you're doing is you're forecasting month by month, what your revenue will be. And what I love about this this chart is that every month you kind of do a new forecast and you put in your actuals for the previous month and then you reforecast out what the rest of the year looks like. And so if you're scanning this document through the year, you can see exactly where your assumptions changed, how your projections are changing from the very beginning of the year through the end of the year. And so we can provide a, a template or link to this in the show notes, but th this idea of of that that waterfall for for revenue uh for for us for cash so anyone that raises money and is spending through that money you want to do it for cash but i think generally any business could do this for forecasting their sales and the important thing here is month by month by month reforecast put in the changes for the rest of the year to catch it early right this has been yeah, helpful cause, yeah because yeah. otherwise you have to pull up like the full forecast to understand when we did this in january we said that our end of year revenue was going to be X. And then you got to pull up your February forecast and say in February, we thought that our end of the year revenue was going to be Y. Uh, but to have it in one neat place, you can throughout the year say, back in January, we thought by now we would be at 100 million, but we're actually only at 80 million. So like what, what happened? Where did we go wrong? And it helps you strengthen your forecasting skills and understand the assumptions that you made throughout the year uh, that were wrong so that you can be, you can be better or more accurate going forward. So 
that is a, a tip that I think has worked really well for us. And I'd recommend to everyone else, again, whatever kind of business, make it a, a, a monthly habit to sit down and reforecast the rest of the year, because then you don't find yourself in a position where you're three, six months into it and way off. And now you've made uh, decisions. You've started, uh, you've made more hires, you've spent too much money and you're just way off. It, it's a, a great exercise. So this, this relates a little to my next question, which is, any other tips for approaching forecasting in such an unpredictable market? How do you, how do you build in that, that buffer or that margin of error? Yeah. So a lot of it goes back to the scenario planning or the sensitivity analysis that we've talked about and just understanding what levers or what, what assumptions would have to be true um, for this forecast to be right. So as you're, as you're going through the year, you say like, all right, if our, if our conversion rate in our, in our case, if our conversion rate from trialing customers to paying customers, if that's X, but it's actually, it's actually two percentage points lower than that. What does that do to our growth? What does that do to our cash? What does that do um, to all the other line items on the, on the sheet, understanding that going into it, then you can keep an eye out for it and say, Hey, it's trending towards that. So it looks like, uh, it looks like we need to make some changes to either our our spend or our headcount or things like that. So it's, it's understanding what those drivers are so you can catch them early because let's say that churn uh, in these economic times, if churn increases and more customers, more paying customers are rolling off, uh, that might impact your cash or your, or your revenue in the first month. But if that continues, if that compounds for the next 12 months, that's going to be a huge impact to your uh, to your goal and where you want to be. And so catching those things early on is really important. Uh, another thing is just being realistic. Sometimes in finance, we get labeled as like pessimistic or like the, the Debbie Downers, you know, like we're saying like marketing, I know you say we're going to like grow five X this year, but maybe, maybe let's just plan on three X this year. <laughs> because if you get too optimistic, I think that's where a lot of companies get in trouble. And frankly, we saw a lot of SaaS companies over the last 18 months, raise money at super high valuations, assume that everything was going to be rosy going forward. And they hired hundreds or thousands of employees that they've since let go. And so we never want to be in that position as a company. And so we, we try to be as realistic as we can, but also optimistic. Um, but with some, with some guardrails. Yeah. Yeah. So what are the other practices we've put in place to stay on top of our financials? Like maybe could you talk about the you know dashboards or the monthly meetings that we have or the weekly meetings, just uh, any anything that could be helpful for someone listening? Yeah, so one of my keys to success is get a really, really good accountant. Here, uh, here at Trainual, we have an awesome accountant. She is the reason that we have a lot of this stuff. She's the reason that we're able to forecast going forward is because we know that our historicals are like perfect. Uh, and so have a really, really good accountant that really helps, especially with your uh, expense management and being able to forecast those in the future. That would be my tip number one. And before uh, and before people start commenting, like who's can you recommend your accountant? It's like an in-house accountant for us. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. so shout out to Kelsey. She works here full time. No, she can't help your business, but you should find one too. <laughs> yes. Find find your version of Kelsey. She won't be as good, but uh, <laughs> ours is great. So you have a really good accountant. And then number two would be understand the the drivers of your business. Again, we've talked about this a bunch, but understand what actually is making those changes and um here at Trainual, we have analytics reports up through finance as well. And so as a, as a software company, as a high growth company, we sort of, we have to understand our analytics or our, our 
our number of trialers and how they convert and what they're doing in the product and how what they do in the product converts to being a paid customer. And then once they are a customer, what are they doing in the product and what does their retention and churn look like moving forward? And so having analytics so close to finance is very helpful for us because then we can have those dashboards that you talked about and understand what does churn rate look like week over week, day over day, month over month, uh, and, and keep an eye on some of those performance metrics that we can then dig into later and uh, make adjustments as needed. So I always had dashboards, even for you know my consulting business, for my video business, there are just certain metrics that whether you do it yourself in an Excel file or a Google sheet or something, uh, or you use some kind of software, you might want to plug into your Google Analytics and see what your traffic is like on your website. You might want to plug into your credit card processing account and see what your monthly transactions month to date are looking like. There's certain just metrics that having them front and center top of mind uh, increases your financial literacy uh, in your own business. And I think that that's part of what keeps us honest with our forecasting is that we all know the numbers. We look at them on a weekly basis in our leadership meetings. We share them at our all hands. We have our, our weekly operations meetings. So I think having a dashboard and having a, a, a planned cadence to review the dashboard is really important. Totally. I, I, it hurts my heart sometimes when I hear uh, leaders here say like, oh, that when I share a metric or a financial uh, nugget with them and they say like, oh, I had no idea that it was that good or that it was that we needed to work on that. I'm like, oh, dang it. That means that we're not doing our job sharing that information with them or they didn't have easy access to it. So it's definitely something we're always working on, making sure that people have the right level of, of transparency and visibility into the business. Um, because, yeah, people people need those those numbers to make decisions. So, yeah. So, all right, we've got dashboards, we've got the, the cadence, and then we also have a monthly meeting that we send out kind of a snapshot to all of our people leaders, right? And so for companies that, you know, maybe have more people, uh, this could be a tip that, you know, include an update on your budget, on your forecast, on your P&L uh, for anyone that's managing people so that they can be setting the right expectations, making the right decisions about how your company is spending money on a monthly basis. Yep, totally. I, I think that employees, that's like the number one way that you can build trust with your employees is to be transparent about some of those numbers, especially yeah. during difficult economic times like we're going through now. People naturally are going to assume the worst, like the company is not performing as well as we thought and uh, other companies are having layoffs. Does that mean that we're going to have layoffs? And being as transparent about where the company is financially uh, with your employees is, is huge to maintain that trust, to build that trust and, and get everybody into the, the mission and vision going forward. Yeah. Now there's been times at Trainual, I, I think I've shot a video on this in the past, uh, where I've said we have an unlimited marketing budget. And I know from putting, you know, from, from a finance perspective, you don't like unlimited budgets for anything. <laughs> but can, can, can we talk through just a, a little bit of the investment versus expense mindset and how it could be true in some businesses to have an unlimited budget for some areas? Yeah, absolutely. So in our business, in software, it is almost most companies that grow to be big, successful software companies have had to raise money at some point. And the reason they have to raise money is because it takes a long time to, to build software. And as and historically, when you build a software custom for a company and you go install it on, on prem and you'd have to keep it updated, like those companies were paying millions of dollars a year for that software. But being able to, as software as a service, charge so little for your software, 
it's going to take some time before you can become profitable. So you have to raise money along the way. But there are certain financial metrics, especially uh, in the SaaS world, where you can know that you're on track and that you're building a healthy company. A lot of these are called unit economics. So what, what does it cost you to acquire a customer? How much do they pay you? And how long is it going to take you to repay the cost to acquire that customer? And then what's the lifetime value of that customer? What's the estimated lifetime value of that customer? Are they going to pay you more over time? Are they going to churn and only be with you for a few months? And if you can understand those, then you can set these unlimited budgets saying, well, we know that if we, if we acquire a customer for $1,000 and they pay us 100 bucks a month, that we will pay back that cost to acquire them in 10 months. And we know that on average, they stay with us for five years. And so if we can do that, then our marketing budget is unlimited. We can spend as much as we want because while we may lose a little bit of money in the short term, we're building a huge business for the future because the unit economics makes sense. And let me if give a, a even, don't make sense. No unlimited marketing. Budget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let me give an even simpler example, a non-software example. Let's just imagine that you had like a, a bakery and you could stand out on the street and offer people a dollar to come into your bakery. And anybody that you hand a dollar to, they come into the bakery and on average, they spend $5. They buy some muffins or cupcakes or whatever. And you did it all day and you handed out dollars and they bought and you saw that you've got that same one to five kind of ratio. Now imagine that you exhausted all of the people that are walking through the streets, but then you could start advertising on Facebook or something, the same kind of dollar and people spend $5 on your website and you plus shipping and, and you make the same sort of equation. And now you've got this massive pool of customers that still you can acquire profitably. They come in, they buy your product or service and you, you come out ahead on that transaction. In those scenarios, that's what you're saying, Drew, that you kind of have an unlimited budget to invest in acquisition until you start to see those unit economics changing. And I think a lot of businesses are not clear on those unit economics. And, you know, even I'll, I'll give another example in my, my uh, consulting firm, when people would come in and spend five or 10 or $20,000 on consulting services, and they found out about me through a referral and I wasn't coming out of pocket on, you know, the, the, uh, on, on Google ads or something, you, you kind of just can't even compute what your cost of acquisition is. And so I, I had to really work at this, but I started tallying up the, the time I was spending networking, going to coffees, whatever, what portion of my salary is that, is that time that I'm spending? Um, any kind of materials that I'm printing or handing out or sending to people. I had a book that was up on my website. Like you include that in your cost of acquisition. It's, it's content that you're creating. And so you can get creative, but everyone that's listening needs to somehow figure out what am I spending to get customers and what are they paying my business over their lifetime with us to start to dial in that, that metric. And if you have a healthy metric, then you can really turn up your, your marketing. I had a friend that used to put together these, um, these like gift baskets. And he realized that if he put together a gift basket that cost him about $100 and dropped them off at 10 different ideal customers, he would get one out of those 10 to buy with his business. So one out of those 10 people it would cost him $1,000 in these baskets, but then they'd end up spending something like $25,000 at his business. And so he said, I'm just going to give these out 
all day to everyone. And he, his business skyrocketed to millions in revenue because he figured that out. And so this is something that I think plays into forecasting because you need to understand those unit economics. And then you test them at different assumptions. You say, can I do this with 10 customers, with 100 customers, and, and watch how they change. Yep. Yeah, watching how they change is key, right? Because those unit economics may not scale at the same rate. So that the first the first few customers at your bakery are going to come in without you giving them a dollar, right? And they might and they might spend the most. They might spend ten dollars each. Yeah. And so then you start spending to to get them into the bakery, but those aren't spending as much. And if you were to go too high, then you're going to just going to get people taking dollars or taking the free samples and not spending anything. So understanding that is like the key to the unit economic discussion. How does that scale and where are you spending money most efficiently? Love it. All right. So assuming everyone goes through this kind of forecasting exercise, which we have been going through and, and we'll, we'll finish up here in the next few weeks, let's wrap up by just talking about the communication of this. So we have a, an annual kickoff meeting we do every December. Uh, you'll stand up and you'll kind of paint a picture for everyone. So can you talk a little bit about how, how we communicate this to the rest of the company? Yeah. So going back to my first point, the most important thing that we communicate is what is our company goal or objective or purpose for the year? Like what, what are we trying to accomplish as a company? Um, who are we serving? What problem are we solving? How are we solving that problem? And then, and then finance can come in at the end and say, and this is what we think it's going to look like numbers wise. We think that this is the growth that we need to achieve to get closer to what our, our mission is as a company. This is how many people we think that is going to be. This is where we think the product is going to end up and how much we're going to spend in those certain areas. And we'll review this company-wide, at least on a quarterly basis with the leadership team, at least on a monthly basis. Um, but that's sort of the intro to that transparency that we talked about earlier of having uh, a big picture kickoff to let everybody know where the company should be in the next year and what their role is in building that. Right. Because everyone has a role. Everyone is part of this. They they are a line item on the, the P&L, right? They have a salary, but then they also have the ability to impact the customer or to sell some product or to improve some of our metrics. And if everyone knows in some way where they fit into the forecast and how they can help the company hit their goals, then I think everyone's more unified going into the year. Absolutely. All right. Drew, anything else on forecasting? Any last tips or words you'd share with everyone? No, I would say it, it is worth it. It's worth the exercise. Uh, if this is your first time doing it, it may feel like a may feel like you don't know where to start, or it, you don't know what the future looks like. So why even spend time looking into it? Um, but I promise it will give you a more holistic view of the business and help you understand where you need to be at certain points in the year to to achieve whatever your company goal is for the year. So totally worth it. But go into it knowing that you're not going to get everything right the first time or ever, but it'll at least give you an idea of where you need to allocate resources and, uh, and how to grow your business. Awesome. All right, Drew Romney, thank you for being here again. Drew's our Director of Finance and Operations over here at Trainual. Uh, he's affectionately known internally as Drupe Fiasco uh, for all of his uh, antics, but his, his uh, he adds a lot of fun to our, our meetings. So Drew, thank you for sharing some insights there. Uh, Everyone else, such great tips. Uh, make sure that you're doing this exercise for your business. Every business should have at least a simple forecast, right? 
You should do a little scenario planning, even if you move forward with one forecast, one plan for the year. Know your guardrails. Know which metrics will be potentially on the high end or the low end and what that means for your year as you go. You should have a good template that's ready for forecasting. So as you go through annual planning, you can put in, plug in whatever numbers or assumptions are coming from your team's uh, strategic goals for the year. You should have your fixed costs really well understood. Know which cells you're dragging forward for 12 months and which ones maybe have to change. And then you should know what the biggest assumptions are in your model. And we talked through some of that with your marketing, your growth assumptions. How much does it cost you to get a customer? How many people do you need to serve those customers? And what are we going to invest as a company on our R&D kind of discretionary spending? Um, so all of those different things weigh into your forecast. And once you have a forecast, make sure you're using it. Measure it. Watch it. Set up those dashboards. Do meetings with your team on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, and tweak it as necessary. You can use the waterfall chart, like we mentioned, which is a simple spreadsheet that reforecasts every month through the rest of the year as you go, month by month, locking in your actuals for the previous month and reforecasting the remaining months in the year. It's a great tool for showing you uh, how your assumptions change through the year and where your revenue is going to end up at the end of the year so that you don't get caught off guard. That's what's happening to a lot of companies right now is that they're getting caught off guard by this market. And we don't want that for you. So please go through some of these exercises uh, and set up a forecast, a healthy forecast for your business. Hey, thanks for listening to Organized Chaos. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave a review or share it with anyone in your network that you think could benefit from this information. For episode show notes, podcast recaps, and tons of other small business news and inspiration, check out the manual. That's trainual.com backslash manual.